The Tablet Show, episode 47, with guest Lino Tadros. Recorded live Friday, August 17th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Lino Tadros about building tablet applications. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. It's The Tablet Show. It's Carl and Richard. And Lino Tadros is here in just a few minutes. But uh, before that, i got to say hi to my friend. What's up, my buddy? Howdy, howdy, howdy. It's scorching hot in Vancouver, which is really weird. Yeah, I've heard the rest of the country is pretty hot, too. Yeah. You know what that means? More barbecue for me. The rest of my country is really hot. Actually, we're <laughs> fairly cool over here on the East Coast, but nice. it's been a scorcher. Hey, um, speaking of barbecue... Mm-hmm. And road trips, on the upcoming road trip, we're going to have to schedule in some barbecue, maybe down south there somewhere. Well, without a doubt, you know, we, I always make stops when we're in the right places. But, you know, the big thing for us is, as we're doing these different shows, trying to avoid the pizza. Yeah. Right? Try to have different food and, and have more fun with that. So, it's all part of the planning. We did, I think we did pretty good in 2010. We could do even better in 2012. Yeah, we only had pizza a couple nights. But, yeah, uh, yeah that stuff will kill you. Eat it every day. Anyway, <laughs> better know framework. Let's roll it. It's going to be two months this time. We could put on 100 pounds if we're not careful. I know. It's crazy. So, um, a little unclarity. Non-clarity? Non-clarity. Disclarity. Disclarity, okay. A lack of clarity is what I'm finding in uh, some stuff that's going on here. If you look in the docs for the .NET Framework 4.5, which uh, are, are linked to, you know, from the Metro side. Mm-hmm. String.normalize returns a new string whose textual value is the same as the string, but whose binary representation is in Unicode normalization form C. Okay. So in case you need form C, then you can normalize. And there's a, there's a case made for it here. But I found a blog post from uh, Dirty Sharp, dirtysharp.wordpress.com, um, back from July 2012, and if you go to tinyurl.com slash string normalize, mm-hmm. you will um, see the statement. He's talking about doing some stuff with Windows 8 in, you know, the tile kind of UI that they used to call Metro. And in the code, he calls string.normalize, but he says... Unfortunately, this method is not available for Metro-style apps using C-sharp. At least there's no wrapper for the native method normalized string, nor an equivalent WinRT call, but it is available by p-invoke, which is kind of weird because it's it's right there in the documentation. So if anybody knows anything about that, I'd like to find out. Hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. But string.normalize. We'll get the, uh, we'll get the real story on that. Got to be dug, and this is about, all about managing Unicode, right? Yeah, yeah. Trying to get it right. All right, so who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of the perfectly functioning comment engine on the tabletshow.com. and this is from show forty-four, which is the one with Jeff Fritz, where we talked about unit testing JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And the comment comes from Derek Bailey, 
And if you remember, Derek Bailey has a past guest on .NET Rocks talking about JavaScript frameworks. And mm -hmm. uh, he's referencing the whole conversation about uh, dealing with automation of JavaScript testing. And what Derek says is, uh, regarding the testing of promises, it's pretty easy, actually, and definitely a solved problem with test frameworks like Mocha and Jasmine, both of which I use in WinJS apps, so the native compiled HTML apps in Windows 8. And he wrote a blog post on it, which I'll include the link for, uh, that'll help people uh, actually do stuff with it. That's on his Lost Techies blog site. And the blog post is called Asynchronous Unit Test with Mocha, Promises, and WinJS. So thanks, Derek. A great chunk of information for folks who are concerned about uh, doing testing of JavaScript in WinJS. Uh, clearly, the work's going on there. And so, hey, one of our previous guests is going to get a tablet show mug. And if you'd like a tablet show mug, just write a comment on the site at thetabletshow.com. And that brings us to our guest, Mr. Lino Tadros from Falafel Software. He is the CEO of Falafel, a Silicon Valley-based company with a presence in Colorado and Texas and probably more places now, dedicated to providing world-class consulting, training, and software development for small, medium, and enterprise-level businesses. And uh, Lino has a long history in this business and is always doing stuff on all the mobile platforms. like to catch up with him. Lino Tadros, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's so nice to hear your voice, guys. Yeah, nice to hear yours, too. And we're coming to your town in a few months, my friend. The road trip ends, hopefully, in Northern California. Yeah. That is awesome. I can't wait. I'm going to start stacking up on booze, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we did some damage to your scotch collection last time. Yes, actually, Bethmo opened two new locations around my house after you guys left. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... It's been when was when were you last on here? It was looks like October twenty fourth, twenty eleven. A lot has changed. Uh, we talked to Dan Walleen last week and uh, just sort of, you know, took a took a temperature of what's what's going on in the industry and what he's working on. What have you been working on in the last year, and how how are things changed at Falafel? Uh, Falafel is growing. We have been very blessed. So we're in uh, five different states here in the U.S. and in two other countries as well. So this is, uh, has been a blessing. And we have been working very hard on mobile still. Definitely we've been concentrating on Windows 8, Windows R, WinRT, and also getting ready for the uh, Windows Phone 8 coming up here very quickly. Yeah. How's that looking to you? Which one? The Windows 8 or the Windows, Windows 8? Phone? Yeah, Windows Phone 8, yeah. I don't know anything about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Looks perfect. It looks perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A few weeks ago, when that uh, when that came out, we were talking about it and looking at the docs that leaked, and uh, man, it certainly does look amazing. Yeah, it looks really good, and uh, the team over there, um, headed by uh, Joe Belfiore, are doing a great job. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing the SDK hopefully here in the next few weeks and the release in October. That would be really awesome. So give us a, a sort of a breakdown of demand for platforms. Uh, for mobile, of course, still iOS is still <laughs> the king. I mean, uh, most of our customers are still want to start with the iPhone and the iPad. And then the second most uh, demanded one is definitely the Android. But the good news is that the, uh, the Windows platform on the mobile and also coming up here with the Windows 8 with, uh, with the tablet uh, Surface coming up here, in the next couple of months, we see a lot of demand. People definitely wanted to go there. So this would be a good news for Microsoft. 
So the in people that you talk to say, yes, that's definitely something we want. Now, are they looking at the ARM version of the Surface RT or the full-blown version? For the enterprise, they're looking for the full-blown version. But to compete with the iPad, for instance, for grandpa and grandma, I'm sure they're going to be interested in the $199 one. So yeah. we'll see how that works. I mean, Microsoft is going to be spending a lot of money, obviously, on marketing it. So we'll see how that goes. But um, my team here, at least, have been a little bit hesitant about running Windows 8 on their main laptops, on their main machine. But since the release a couple of days ago, everybody installed it, and, and I did, too, on my main laptop. And I've been uh, really surprised that um, it didn't take anything away from me. I was able to, to do everything I do with multiple uh, dual monitors and all that. So it was great. Developing and doing everything I, I'm used to do works great on Windows 8. So the, the core functionality, the stuff we need, we've been doing and we need to continue to do that we were doing in 7, just not impacted when we moved to 8. Yeah, it will not get impacted at all. The stuff that for us as developers, for instance, we used to, whether spending a lot of time in Visual Studio or doing any kind of development whatsoever, it, it's not going to be impacted. Once you're in desktop, you can do everything you are used to. It's great. Mm-hmm. It, once in a while, of course, you're going to do something that makes you look very silly, which is with your finger, you're going to reach to your monitor trying to swipe it, but it doesn't work <laughs> like that. <laughs> I got all these streaky fingerprints across my monitor now. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of the days when we used to use whiteout in my Word documents. But <laughs> yeah, it, we're all we're all moving towards using the Force, you know, the Jedi <laughs> thing. It's it's coming to that. And you're not struggling using a mouse with Windows 8, just not bothering you. Yes, definitely. When you're doing it on a desktop or a laptop, um, definitely the mouse is definitely a necessity. Once mm-hmm. you're on a tablet, like the Samsung one, or hopefully with the with the Surface one coming up here really quickly, I can't wait to see it and. I heard from somebody from Microsoft, uh, they were in Redmond, and they had it in their hand, and they said it feels expensive. It feels like something awesome, So, which is definitely the feeling that you got, if you remember, when we first touched the iPad in our hands. So I'm really happy to hear that. I can't wait to, uh, to see the device. So I know that Windows 8 just shipped, but with any of the pre-releases, were you building any prototype projects, uh, starting to experiment with uh, certain customers? Yes, we actually have three customers here in the United States that wanted to start with a prototype for Windows 8, um, for the Windows 8 style applications. I'm not supposed to say the word Metro anymore. Let's right. Go yesterday. So, um, but also internally here, we just released the, uh, the event board application from Falafel Software for conferences, and it went live on the um, Windows Store the same day the product went, um, went public two days ago. So at midnight uh, yesterday, Event Board has been available, actually, on the Windows um, 8 store as well. Oh, this is a cool story, too, because, I mean, event, I love Event Board on the phone, but i got to think it's going to look different on the tablet. Yeah, it's very different. We used all the new features for the WinRT with the uh, with the Zoom and everything. It's, it's all built in. It looks great. And definitely with the real estate now, we can do a lot more. So it's uh, brand new views, brand new technologies putting into the application to make it a first-class citizen of Windows 8. Using the semantic Zoom, you said? So how exactly do you do that? Are there controls built in to help you with that, or is it just a feature that you need to implement yourself? No, it's just to create different views, and then you can actually put that in the, uh, in the configuration file to so say whenever you do the gesture for the semantic zoom, you can completely convert to a different view and so on. So definitely, remember with, with Windows 8, there's a lot of different views. There is the landscape, the portrait. You can have multiple views for when you... Uh, when you switch it uh, 90 degrees, the, the, the whole tablet in your hand and so on. So all the stuff has to be handled with different views. And semantic uh, zoom is, is exactly the same thing. So 
when you have a conference, for instance, like Tech Ed, that has hundreds and hundreds of different sessions, you don't want to see all the stuff in a, right. in a grid view or anything like that. So you want to be able to uh, do a semantic zoom gesture on the device so that it can automatically filter it by the, uh, the ASP.NET uh, sessions and the WCF sessions and so on. You see, so you can have a, a one-mile-high view, so you can keep going like this to go filter up and down from wherever mm-hmm. you are instead of having to keep scrolling right to left all the time. So it works pretty well. Is there a XAML container that helps you do that, like a scroll viewer or something? Or Yeah, there is a lot of things out there available also on CodePlex that will help you with that, to be honest with you. But out of the, the gate, it's not that difficult to actually implement uh, the semantic zoom. It's just there's two pieces. You have to create the view for it, and you have to configure it actually in your XAML code if you're using XAML. Or, of course, you can do it in HTML5 and JavaScript as well. What does the HTML5 incarnation look like? It looks great. I mean, the only difference, I mean, we have... Half the people here in the company decided to do it the XAML way, and the other half are learning it using the HTML5 and JavaScript, so we can actually have both talents here in the company. Hmm. And I ended up being in the camp of the HTML5 and JavaScript, and John Waters actually decided to do the XAML one, so we can have it covered both ways. How did this happen? Really? What's happened to you? What's happened to you, Lino? learn all the stuff to be able to help our customers. That's what a, a consulting and training company is all about. So we have to uh, to know that stuff. But in the HTML5 and the JavaScript wor- world, you'll have to learn the WinJS very well to understand what's going on and the piece that uh, Microsoft is bringing in. And I'm glad we're having this actually discussion on the show so that a lot of people have so much confusion. I've been teaching actually the um, the Windows 8 classes at the Microsoft office here in Mountain View for the last couple of months several times. There's hackathons and so on that they do here in the in the Bay Area. And people are confused. What are they leaving behind if they continue with XAML? Or if they go to the HTML5 way, what are they leaving on the table by not doing XAML way? So maybe this is something we can definitely talk about to clear up which way you should go. Absolutely. I mean, this is a this is an ongoing decision that seems to, the, the, the inputs for this decision seem to change daily. Yeah, I, I agree, and it's not an easy answer, but what I can tell you from our experience from doing it both ways like that is that if you're a C-sharp programmer and you have been writing code in XAML, whether it's in Silverlight or WPF, I honestly do not believe there is a need for you to go to the HTML5 hmm. or JavaScript way. You can continue being a first-class citizen, and you can continue on that route. If you're a, a developer that's coming from outside of the Microsoft world, maybe coming from Adobe doing Flash development, very familiar with JavaScript, have been a JavaScript developer for PHP or for HTML5 directly, and you want to play in the game of the new Windows 8 and Windows um, coming forward, it's definitely a good thing to actually not having to learn C Sharp from scratch and learning how the XAML works. You can just bring in your knowledge from HTML5 and JavaScript in. But I honestly do not believe if you're a XAML person, you need to go the HTML5 way. Just because HTML5 and JavaScript, once you bring it into the WinGS and Windows, it is not backward compatible. You will not be able to take that code and take it back to where you came from uh, without Windows 8. So that is my honest opinion about the matter. All right. Well, that that is to, for writing Windows 8 applications. But That's what right. about if you want to write an HTML5 application can you leverage, is there a good way to leverage uh, your skills as a XAML C-sharp developer and wind up with HTML5? Is, is light switch the only way? 
Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, the combination, you know, remember you can still use outside libraries like jQueries and uh, Knockout and, and the Kendo UI. You can use all the stuff actually in the HTML5 and JavaScript portion of the WinJS. It will all work. But at the mm-hmm. same time, if you would like to take advantage of that on the XAML portion, you will not be able to bring all the stuff directly in there. But sure. there's always a way to utilize these things if you're creating a, um, a placeholder for HTML5 inside of your application itself. Yeah, sure. Well, what do you think? What do you think the future of HTML5 apps, not necessarily websites, but apps is? Because this is something that is a moving target as well. Yeah, I mean, if you remember last year, you asked me the same question. I said yeah. we have probably another 12 to 18 months to find out how that's going to shape up. And a year later, my answer is still the same. <laughs> it's 12 to 18 months. <laughs> it's definitely uh, it's, it's going, but it's not a standard yet, and there's a lot of moving target. I mean, for business application, it's still pretty rough because, of course, the third-party companies have not created their fancy grids and their fancy charts and fancy this and fancy that to make it easier for developers to do it. Mm-hmm. But if you are uh, feel courageous and you want to create everything uh, by hand, you're more than welcome to do that. Bring in some third-party JavaScript libraries and do it yourself. But I'm sure companies like Telerik and DevExpress and Infragistics and all these guys will end up creating HTML5 first-class citizens for that kind of stuff, whether yeah. it's from MVC or pure HTML5 uh, directly uh, to spit up from Razor Syntax from MVC, for instance, or yeah. whatever. It will definitely happen. It's definitely the way to go. They just don't want to spend the money right now knowing that this is a moving target for the specifications. So, but Boy, you got I that believe right. in the next year or so we'll have something very solid. Well, and I'm really concerned about the Phone 8 story because from the leaked SDK, it looks like the, the Sol Silverlight model's going away. There doesn't seem to be an implementation of WinJS. Uh, you know, they, it's, it's not going to be that simple. In some ways, I think the C-sharp XAML guys might be in the best position here going into the new phone. Granted, we've only seen a leaked SDK. We haven't seen the real SDK. Or the Xamarin yeah. approach, right? Yeah, that is, that is correct. I mean, um, there is a lot of rumors out there. <laughs> so yeah. that is, until we see the real SDK, hopefully in the next few weeks, we won't be able to tell for sure, but all I can say right now is that if you're a XAML um, person, definitely you'll be in good shape for the next SDK. Hmm. Well, and it also makes a case for, and I, I'm surprised you guys aren't doing more phone gap related, you know, the, the let's work in HTML, but use a, a wrapper over the different devices model. I mean, is, is that something you even concern yourself with, Lino? We actually are definitely capable of doing it. There is a lot of libraries out there that we can use. You'd be amazed, actually, to to know that our customers, uh, when they first start talking to us, they want to go that route. They want to go to the HTML5 route. By the time we actually show the demos and give them a prototype, almost 90% of our customers decide to go native. They do not want to do it the HTML5 way. Wow. Why? And the reason for that is each one of these um, platforms, whether it's iOS, Android, and Windows Phone, have their own specification. We don't believe in right ones run everywhere on these phones. I know it's easier, of course, to do it in HTML5, so you don't have to keep rewriting all the stuff. But in reality, to be really the, the look and feel of your application under the iOS, it would definitely make a lot more sense to write it in Objective-C or using the MonoTouch, for instance, from Xamarin to, to do it, it will it will be a first-class thing. In Android, the same way you can write it in Java or Mono for Android, um, that will give it a first-class look and feel as well. Hmm. And definitely in the uh, in the application for Windows Phone, if you do it automatically as a Windows Phone app, 
the panorama look and the uh, mm. pivot uh, views and all that stuff definitely is much better than having a one for all because it will not feel as a first class citizen in these environments. Well, that's true. That's very true. And I, I remember last year we talked about that phone gap thing and we talked about Xamarin. I asked you if you had used Mono Touch and uh, Mono Develop and Mono uh, for Android. And you said that you guys are not. You're using the, the native tools. You're still going that route? Yes, actually, I, I mean, we love the team over there at Xamarin. They did an awesome job. I'm a user of MonoTouch and Mono for Android. I love the product very much. But what happened a couple of years ago from uh, from Apple when they closed the door on everybody, especially Adobe, and unfortunately the MonoTouch at the time paid the price for that, people really got scared about it. So I would love to mm. convince my customers that uh, there is nothing to fear, especially there is hundreds of applications in the App Store right now written in Monotouch. So there is nothing to right. worry about anymore whatsoever. But for right now, we have invested so much in Objective-C and Xcode that the team here that write the score are, are more comfortable just continuing with that because we don't know which uh, side of the bed Apple is going to wake up on tomorrow. So we don't want the rug to be pulled from underneath us again. Bellino, here's a hypothetical. If you were starting over with a bunch of .NET developers... Would you would you go the Xamarin route? Oh yes, absolutely. There is nothing to even think about. Absolutely. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than thirty free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free, free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. The thing I see at the advantage of Xamarin and so forth is you're going to build an iPhone app that looks like an iPhone app and it actually compiled native and Android looks like Android and so forth. But in the corporate world, don't I want the app to be uniform across the devices? For the enterprise, yes, you, you're absolutely right. But remember, most of these applications for the mobile are not made for internal use. They want to mm. put it as something on the, at the store to give um, a view of their app to the outside world, maybe to third-party vendors or to a customer, or to the whole public. Yeah, yeah. And for there, it's got to look right. It has to look like the operating system that you're running on, especially if you're worried about certification and so on. Because a lot of times, if you if you try to put the concept of a panorama or a pivot in an iOS, uh, it will actually get declined on the certification because it does not pass the specification of the UI. Right. And I'm thinking of the platforms, the Windows Phone is probably the most unique. In other words, in the Android apps really tend to look like iPhone apps and vice versa. But uh, but Windows Phone apps, you you know, you definitely know you're on a Windows Phone when you have one. Yeah. And so I imagine that if I was a Windows Phone user and aficionado, and I was all of a sudden pulling up something that looked like an Android app, I'd be, huh? What's this? No, I, I agree. I think a lot of people 
We'll say a little bit more also about the iPhone. If you have an iPhone, people will know this is an iPhone right away. They have a very specific uh, look and feel, and, and yeah. their brand is very, very strong. Not only in the United States, everywhere in the world that I go to, uh, iPhone is very recognized from a mile away. Yeah, you're right, right about but that. I agree with you. This Windows Phone is beautiful, works great, way faster than Android and iPhone. Mm. <laughs> I can tell you that based on benchmarks. We've done it ourselves on the same application. So mm. it is a much better phone as far as speed. The one thing I love the most, of course, about the Windows Phone, and this is honest truth, is the development. I mean, for me to develop on the Windows Phone in Visual Studio, I feel like I'm in 2012. Whenever I go yep. develop on any other platform, I actually take a hit about 10 years behind on doing right. that kind of stuff. It is archaic. It's the old style of development again. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and they will argue that it's pure and it's great and we're whatever. But, you know, when you when you have the experience of developing in Visual Studio... And then you go back. It's, well, there you go. We love it, actually. We love it because we charge per hour. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that would be the other number you should you could work up is a cost to develop the same app natively across those three platforms. Yeah. Is it that dramatic? Yeah, I would say iPhone takes the most amount of time and Android will be the second most. But the, the, the definitely the most inexpensive way of doing it is the Windows phone way, definitely. Hmm. Do you have a sense of the number? Is it half the price? Like, uh, how big of a difference are we talking? I actually didn't run the benchmark, but I can tell you that uh, I I always love to start with the Windows Phone because when we start creating a prototype for it, by the time we're done, the application is almost 80% done. Even wow. Yeah. The prototype. It's just the Visual Studio is extremely fast in helping you create all that stuff. With the Xcode, I feel like I'm developing in Notepad. I don't want to actually badmouth Xcode. I think it's an excellent product, and my team here love working with Xcode. But definitely, it's not a Visual Studio product. Well, I thought you were badmouthing Notepad, Lino. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we got used to Xcode in here, and we have members of the team that they'll swear by it. But once you you uh, you you play with Objective C for a few months, it will mm. grows on you. Of course, for C sharp programmers. When they start working with Objective-C for the first time, they get dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> so you said that the developing for Windows Phone is definitely the cheapest. Does that include the tools? Hmm. Well, you can get all the tools for free with the Express version of Visual Studio, so there's really no money whatsoever to, to spend. You can actually create a Windows Phone app from A to Z with very uh, state-of-the-art uh, tools for completely free. Mm. So, okay. And that's good now if you have the the uh, Apple uh, operating system, the all the stuff, if the OS is there, you can actually get all the stuff for free as well. Of course, you have to be a member of the um, of the platform by paying the $99, but that's the same thing for Windows as well, and Android has a $25, so it's not a big right. deal. I mean, I don't think the cost is the issue, to be honest with you guys. I think the issue is productivity. Yeah. Well, you also have to own a Mac, right, if you're going to build iOS. Yes, but who doesn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Salino, <laughs> you're a forward-looking guy. What kind of trends do you see happening in the uh, in the development world on the in the tablet space in the next couple of years? I think it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, the the uh, the wars are going to start hitting hard now between Microsoft and uh, and Google and Apple, and I think we are going to be the winners of all that. So the more the yeah. competition, uh, I think we're going to get incredible devices in the next few years and the operating systems are going to be almost in a sprint to find out who's going to win that war. Um, Microsoft has, what, 
400, 500 million people running Windows, it will be definitely a good thing to have at least a percentage of that moving to the Windows 8 tablet. It's going to be difficult in the beginning, but hopefully with time, people see the value and they will uh, will get them to uh, to use these tablets. But right now, iPad, of course, is the clear winner on that. And with all the lawsuits going on between the uh, the Nexus 7 and uh, Samsung stuff and Apple stuff, we'll see how all the stuff will uh, will work out. But Right now, it's not about products, it's about patents. Every single one of these scams is just spending billions of dollars on, on owning patents so that they can actually be ready for all lawsuits. So it's kind of nasty, but unfortunately, it's a must-be in our industry. But I think we'll be the winner at the end as, as consumers. We'll get some very good devices and very good software coming forward. Do you believe that Microsoft's actually going to ship a, a 199 tablet? It's only been a rumor so far. It just doesn't seem feasible. Um. Well, if you think about it, if you don't have a desktop, right, you just have um, just the RT version of it on the ARM itself. Yeah. So there is no desktop. You cannot run any of the Windows applications that you are used to. So it's really like uh, an iPad at this point, just running straight from the store, whatever applications that you will have there. I think they can do it, and I think they need something substantial like that to rock the world. Yeah. They cannot come in as a, as a third a third uh, distant third actually at this point and try just to have uh, um, the, the the whole industry as uh, by normal by normal means no it has to be something that will rock the world so i think 199 will be a major rocking at this point that will allow them to play in the game right away i almost wonder if it'll undermine them because this i mean the ipad is starting at 399 and you you get a clear feature set it's the the deluxe product the 199 is the Kindle Fire and the Nexus 7, and they feel and look like lower-end products. They're 7-inch displays. They're smaller, lighter, less powerful, less capable. And I just wonder if Microsoft would be hurting themselves by pricing at 199 because you, you would think it's a Fire and not an iPad. Well, but they still have to do something way out of the box. And yeah. I think this is a good way. I mean, look what happened to me, for instance. I'm, let's say, I'm a user, and here I have this company called Falafel Software. When I heard about the 199, what is the first thing that came to my mind? And hopefully that's the same thing that came to a lot of people's mind. Everybody gets one. The whole I company. In Christmas, that yeah. would be my gift to all the employees in the company. Yeah, but for if sure. if it was 599 or 699 I might have thought differently. But because it's 199 everybody will get one. So 199 it's absolutely clear they'd get one. Oh yeah, but what's the threshold? Is it three ninety nine? Is it two ninety nine? Like, where's that number? For me, it's one ninety nine fifty. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know really what that. It's a number that you hear and you feel like yes. Yeah, that, that it re- is- it's a. Re- I with you. The one ninety nine is the magic number. What my fear is is that you know that hardware is costing more than that. Like at some point, it's. It's dumping, like it's a Federal Trade Commission violation to dump that low. Yeah, that, that's another issue. I'm not a lawyer, but I can tell you that probably that is an issue here, at least in the United States. Yeah. But, uh, but everybody is doing it, right? I mean, you cannot buy, for instance, the Galaxy uh, S3 phone for $9.99. It's $10 right now to go buy that phone. So is that legal? <laughs> but with a two-year contract. like the, true. The money's being made another way, and they're now selling the Xbox for $99 with a two-year live li- license. Like the, yeah. That I can buy into. If they could do one ninety nine with some kind of contract to to earn out the money another way, okay. I really think that Xamarin is a wild card in this whole thing because they have a very unique product that solves a particular problem that everybody is addressing in one way or another. 
Do you see them becoming bigger and more utilized in the in the next five, ten years? I do. I actually do. I think they have great minds over there. I had the pleasure of knowing Miguel actually for a lot of years since the days I actually uh, used to work for Borland in the old days. He's always been somebody we all respected very much. And I spent some time with him at the MVP Summit actually uh, mm. uh, last March. And I can tell you they think clear. They are extremely talented people. And now they have some business uh, people behind them as well that they will put some marketing behind the company. And I definitely wish them the well and will always be there also to promote that product as well. It's, they are good people with great minds. You see them, you see them becoming more relevant, not, not uh, less. No, no, I don't think so. I think they can only go forward from here. This is, uh, this is great. I can tell you if they were public, I would have bought stock. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you think that their, their existence is good for Microsoft or, or not so good? No, I think, I think Microsoft, uh, most of the people I talk to at Microsoft are really appreciating the fact that there is a company like Xamarin uh, available to, to provide all that stuff. Mm-hmm. They are not uh, in the old uh, sense of thinking of, uh, of the Apple disappearing or the iPhone or uh, iPad waking up in the morning and not be there anymore. So sure. you have to embrace the fact that there is competition here to stay. Mm-hmm. Apple now is a bigger company than Microsoft. So these are facts. So uh, Microsoft, I don't think they are in the point of mind right now that they are the only thing under the sun. So... Uh, having competition is good for everybody. Yeah. Being able to have a company like Xamarin that will offer all three different major platforms is a good thing for everybody. So, Richard, I don't know what you think about this, but my thought is that you know they're they're getting people to stay in C sharp. You know, they're 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 getting the .NET developers to not completely abandon their language, so it keeps their skills up and allows them to still write for Windows Phone. Absolutely, and they love C sharp. I mean, I know Miguel loves the C sharp language. Uh, he believes in it. It was, uh, of course, implemented or invented by uh, Anders Helsberg, and I think it's extremely elegant language. So, having people to stay in that language and still attack all the other platforms, whether it's um, the iOS or the Android, is definitely a benefit for us as far as C sharp programmers go. Yeah, I see no incentive to move away from C sharp if that's the language you're fluent in. You seem to be able to use it everywhere effectively. Yes, I agree. I mean, the people here in the company at Falafel that actually have coming from C++, for instance, in the background, and they have to learn Objective-C, and they've been using it for several years now, mm-hmm. are already comfortable in there. So I won't ask them to move to C-Sharp. But for those of us that have been doing C-Sharp, like I said, I'm a user of Monotouch and Mono for Android, and I'm very happy there. Yeah. Even though for Monotouch I have to write the code on a Mac, that's fine. That's not a problem. So it's not that big of a deal. That That's a small entry as long as I continue to use C-Sharp and use all the libraries and all the um, the code that I've already written to bring in, whether for uh, for HTTP or for TCP IP sockets or whatever it is, I can still use everything knowing that code where does it come from instead of having to reinvent the wheel in Objective-C, which I don't know as much. But, you know, you make an interesting point. The, the same way that if you're a competent C-Sharp developer, you've got choices everywhere. The big thing that I think Win8 did is bring the C++ developer back to building apps. Objective-C also did that. That was sort of a revelation. Hey, three guys in a basement who know how to program in C++ can now make money writing apps for iPhone. And I think Win8 has opened that same door with the C++ XAML combination being pretty compelling. Have you got any of your guys using that combination for building apps? Yes, actually, we have TB. Actually, uh, you probably know TB. He spoke with us several times in a lot of different conferences, Richard. Yes. He's now part of the Falafel team. Tibby Kovach, the man with the scotch. Yeah, the guy with the scotch, that's correct. Um, so he's been using C++, and he's going to be our uh, 
our, our force behind using C++ with Visual Studio 2012 for all the new Windows 8 stuff, which is great because a lot of the people that want speed and force behind like uh, graphics and animation and so on, there is a lot of C++ code written out there that is optimized to the T to make it work as fast as possible. So mm -hmm. now, finally, the C++ world is a first-class citizen of uh, Windows development, at least with inside of Visual Studio. So you don't have to to feel like the cousin. <laughs> You're right now straight the immediate son. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it's a very big deal. And we also saw in the in the leaked WinPhone 8 SDK C++ with DirectX, like getting back to the brass tacks of how to make a phone app as fast as possible. And that's going to be a that's going to be a huge deal. I I I think people are underestimating the impact of C++. As much as C# Sharp's at a great place, I think C++ has got a big win coming up here as well. I, I totally agree, especially big companies. The biggest customers that Microsoft have, like Adobe, for instance, is a big Visual C++ customer. Mm -hmm. They have millions of lines of code for all the Photoshop and all these products. So now being able to take the majority of that code and bring it directly to, to build uh, for uh, for the Windows 8 style applications and so on, that would be huge for performance and for everything else. Bet. Look, can we talk a little on the UI side here? Because I'm still wrestling with how people are finding the application model formerly known as Metro building experience. Uh, <laughs> you've been doing the phone seven stuff for a while. It, I mean, they look the same, but they're built totally differently. Am I, am I correct there? Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of the characteristics, but yes, it's a different implementation, but it looks pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And and if it, it feels right, like it, 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 I appreciate that Microsoft's preserving the metaphors that once you learn this on the phone or on age, you'll understand it vice versa. Yes, you have to understand that their main goal every second, they want to remind you that it's touch first. Right. That's the whole idea. They just wanted to prove to you that it's touch first. Mouse and keyboard come second now. So as long as everybody is okay with that for the future, that Microsoft is concentrating on touch first, then you'll understand the whole metaphor behind the new look of the uh, of the metro and all the stuff. I know we're not supposed to use that word anymore, but I'm going to continue to use it because um, I, I always say um, if if uh, if the Microsoft Windows 8 team get to uh, to name the word sushi, they will call it uh, cold dead fish. <laughs> all right. I mean, the UI challenge here for me is that we've got a very distinctive UI. I think developers are still really struggling with reimagining what their apps are supposed to look like in this style. Because it, it, I, I, have you done any work in the sort of line of business space rather than going to the customer? It's the, it is an internal app. Does it make sense? Not for every application, of course. Some applications are very LOB line of business application that don't make much sense. They still want to run them in the desktop and, and so on. So not every application will make sense for, for that look and feel for the Windows 8 style. Right. But if you would like to definitely create something for the metros, for the metro look and feel for the future, it's actually pretty elaborate uh, system. The WinRT is extremely elaborate. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that we have one of our customers, a big customer that we have right now, that they are doing something extremely fun. They want to actually communicate between a Win32 or a Win64 app uh, running in the desktop and the live tiles, for instance, uh, on the Windows 8 side. So the, the two applications can communicate, and the Win32 and 64-bit application can change things on the live tiles, for instance, on the Windows 8. So it was a major endeavor, by the way. It's not as simple as you might think to be able to have these two applications communicate with each other. So 
In the future, there might be a need for for companies that already have an established Windows application, regular application, but they would like to give it a, a facelift by creating a piece that will update, for instance, the live the live tiles or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have actually created that platform to allow for this communication back and forth um, to allow the live tiles through uh, a Windows application running in a desktop. And I've always thought that dashboard view of the live tiles was compelling in the enterprise. You know, that you, you decompose an ERP application so that each tile represents a particular role in the app. So the accounts receivable is going, you haven't checked me lately. You know, we're 60 days overdue, like those kinds of things. So it sort of, it helps direct the, the enterprise user to, here's what you should worry about first. Yes, I agree. And remember the deep linking as well. So each application can yeah. have multiple lifestyles. So each one, will, when you click on it, will take you to a specific place inside of the app instead of having to start from the beginning every time. So That's the deep cool. linking can be very useful for the enterprise, yes. It's all very overwhelming. Yeah, I just think you, you're, you're going from what was an icon in Win 7 to what should be dozens of tiles even. Yeah, it can get confusing, I agree, and that's why, to be honest with you, the certification of the applications in the store is going to be very, very rigid in the beginning. So they're going to make it very difficult to actually get certified because they don't want to put an application there to give others the wrong impression of what, what you should do with a with a Windows 8-style app. Because if they leave it open, as if it was like the Android marketplace, for instance, People can put so much bad design and bad code, and people will learn from that. And all of a sudden, they will have 100,000 applications badly designed that people are learning from. So Mm -hmm. in the beginning, I believe it would be very rigid, and you will have to adhere to the specification. You cannot put a search uh, text box in the middle of your application. For instance, it has to be on a charm. You cannot do this and that. They will actually force you to accept the specification so people do not get confused Mm -hmm. and end up creating applications that definitely kill the the spirit of Metro completely. Yeah. The thing that just hits me over and over again is that these apps need to be completely rethought. And, you know, every time we we have the opportunity to rethink something, it's not completely done. You know, there's always some... There's always legacy ideas and concepts that come through from the past that don't necessarily apply anymore. And uh, I, I just think that, you know, thinking through the usability or the, the user interface of an application is just probably even more critical than, than, uh, than the actual coding of it. Yeah, I actually agree. Because it seems like we got less and less code now, doesn't it? The, the, the architecture of these apps, the way we're building them, it looks more and more like it's not a lot of lines of code, but they've got to be awfully clever. Yeah. Yes. And actually, that's one of the things that every time we get a brand new framework, it was it's trying to do all the plumbing for you. So you don't have to spend all your time creating things that everybody's doing the same thing all over again. Right. Mm. They want you to concentrate on what you're trying to accomplish, not the look and feel and how far the icon needs to be in amount of pixels from the left and how the grid is going to display itself. All the stuff has been done a million times over the years. They don't want you to worry about that. They want you to concentrate on what you want to accomplish and get the application out there as soon as possible to do your business. So here's one more question, Lena, before we run out of time here. What do you think the killer tablet app is? Event board. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I've seen I've seen good tablet apps, but I'm talking about an app that it wouldn't make sense in any other form factor. 
Hmm, it actually it could be my joystick for my Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool. But you know, joysticks are pretty good at that. Yeah, yeah. it could be actually something that will uh, will uh, allow me to manage my entire house as far as lights and uh, uh TVs and all electronics in the house by having the iPad on the wall somewhere so I can pick it up and just turn on and off everything. And if I take it with me using um a web interface for instance I can still access through an IP address all the stuff so it's a, it's a definitely a good thing to have in the house or outside of the house to be able to manage your house yeah. I think that would be a killer app I, I do think that the you know the core concept you're, you're hitting at there is this idea of I bring the device to where the work is rather than bringing the work to the device you know the, the, now that the lap tablet is with me and it's got all that power the work looks different because I can go to where it is and start manipulating it yes I agree. It's just that everything is going to be on our fingertips no matter where we are. I don't have to be on my laptop or my desktop or in a specific place. Now I can be anywhere and I can accomplish things in seconds. I can meet with people. I can actually, uh, like I said, in control of my house, of my office. Who knows in the future I can be controlling my cars from inside of this iPad, which would be very dangerous for me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've met some of your cars, Lino. That would be hazardous. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, I also think that there's we haven't seen a great collaboration app yet, and I'm wondering if the tablet will be the device that'll make collaboration awesome. Yes, that, that I agree with. There is a lot of good ones out there, but the one that is a killer app maybe is still out there to be written, but yep. there's a lot of different apps out there that do a pretty good job. I agree. Well, Lino, it's been a, just a gas having you on the show again, and I uh, can't wait to see you later in the fall. I'm looking forward to it, guys. Have a great one, and thank you for having me again on the show. We'll call up Anders and play squash. What do you think? <laughs> I think you will. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much.